0: Gaming and BS episode 291 being recorded Monday, April 27th, 2020! Welcome to Gaming NBS, a tabletop RPG podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Sean.
1: And I'm Brett. Welcome to the show, folks. Welcome back. Glad everybody's on board. Hope you're all doing well. Healthy, all that stuff. Sean, how the hell are you, man? Man, I'm doing all right. So I got to, one more time, if you are not into watching games on Twitch, or you just didn't care to, or if it's not your thing, regardless, I ran my uh, Patreon uh, Streets of Avalon game this last Saturday, and Sean made sure he handled all of the twitchy stuff and the streamy stuff in the background. So, Sean, thank you. Best three hours and 48 minutes of my life, Brett. <laughs> no, the fact, the fact that you did that while I had fun, I, I hope you had some fun, at least in part, because as Zoom moves character characters, I mean, uh, the blocks around on Zoom as to who's talking where and whatever, you had to do a little bit of magic, man, to make that all happen, and uh, I could not do that without you, brother. So, thank you, Sean.
0: Yeah, good times, man. Uh, I'm, I'm not add... kidding.
1: I'm not kidding, Sean. Thank you, because I yeah. can't do this without you at all. So, <laughs> and I've said it before and I'll say it again. Streets of Avalon, as a book, would not exist if it were not for you. So, thank you, Sean.
0: Yeah, no, man. It's, it's all good. Uh, anything I could do to promote the Streets
1: of Avalon.
0: We gotta do l- a voiceover for that. You
1: gotta do a voiceover. Streets of Avalon. I thought it went really well though. I don't know. So from a technical side, how did it go for you? I'm gonna ask you a quick, boring tech question, then we'll go on to something else.
0: Uh, was it okay? Yeah, it went relatively smooth. I think the uh volume on the video ended up being a little low, which I will attempt to adjust okay. on YouTube for YouTubers. So I don't I don't anticipate a big any big issues. It went relatively smooth, so I was happy. Very cool. Very surprised at how smoothly it went, actually.
1: Uh, The crew we had, it was awesome. So it was a really, really good, really, really good game. So go out there, check it out. For um, I don't think I've not gamed with any of those folks before. Never run a game for any of them or gamed with them at all. So uh, check it out. I thought it was really well done from the player side. This. Um, mostly, I mean, my side, I hope I did okay, but I thought the players jumped in, grabbed on the stuff. They worked the plot. They worked the, uh, angles, didn't dawdle in any of the wrong places, took uh, appropriate baits where bait piles were dropped and, I uh, had a, had a good time and poke prodded and they sought adventure. They were not fucking around. <laughs> it was, it was good. I was very pleased. I was, yeah. I was super happy.
0: Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: Good group. Glad it could happen. You're gonna do it again, Brad? What's up? What's up? Yeah, we got to get another one scheduled because we're running more games for Petron. So I don't know if I'm gonna do a uh, another Streets of Avalon one or if I want to do a Trail of Cthulhu next. Uh oh. So I just, if nothing else, Sean seemed to do so well making the little background everything on Twitch. I figure I make him do a Trail of Cthulhu one. Oh. I do something different. I don't uh-huh. know. Uh-huh. We'll see. But it was it was a lot of fun, and um, I've got to find a link to it. But Jared Rasher. Friend of the show, backer of the show, and all that good stuff, is also running the Streets of Avalon game. And he's actually got John Arcadian in it, which is pretty cool, because John helped me make the book. That's right. (laughs) So that's pretty slick. I've not had a chance to run for John yet, so that's pretty neat. And uh, from all signs, it's going well. Going very well, so (sighs) happy, happy, happy little writer guy me, so that's pretty cool. Anyway, enough of that crap. No one else wants to hear about the things I think are cool. Um. Let's see. What else have we got? Did you, apart from watching me game, did you do anything gaming this weekend?
0: I did not do anything gaming related this weekend. Tomorrow night, I have stars without number.
1: Is yeah. that a is that a patron game or is that a what? What are no, you doing No, it's Doc's
0: group. I call Aye, it okay. affectionately Doc's group. Crystal is running stars without number. I think there's seven players online. Nice. So I play. um I forgot my character's name. Zephrin. Shit, man. I can't freaking remember. I'd have to look it up. <laughs> <laughs> but he's going to play... He's going to be Space like... Man, the, you got
1: to be Spaceman <laughs> Spiff. I want Spaceman Spiff.
0: Oh, God. Now it's going to kill me. I should probably look it up. I, it'll only take me a second as Brett
1: talks. All right. So you've got that going. I have my Streets of Avalon for my home group tomorrow. And then Wednesday, speaking of Trail of Cthulhu, my two little kids want to... Run, want to play Trailer Cthulhu, so I'm going to scare the shit out of my children, which will be fun. Give them some nightmares. And then um, Wednesday is uh, I'm back in Undermountain, where my buddy Alf is running for my home group, so that'll be fun. And speaking of games and things to run, uh, events registration for GameholeCon is live. GameholeCon is November 5th through the 8th one uh so go out there if you're looking to do stuff you do not have to buy a badge to register tickets and stuff right now so one of the things that this helps game Con do is make sure that they it's kind of an interest gauge as well because of the way of the world right now they're kind of like hey you know you guys gonna show up assuming we get the all clear we can run stuff and have people show up you're gonna plan to come and as a guy who has helped run convention in the past you gotta have some damn good events to draw folks in so you've got a damn good event get posted up there. Which reminds me, Sean, we have not had our post discussion. We've got to figure out what we're going to do, big event wise, for GameholeCon this year. We've talked about running more games and doing some stuff. So I've got an idea. Dude, I don't think it's going to happen. You don't think what's going to happen? You don't think we're going to come up with something to do? No, I don't think Gamehole is going to happen.
0: Why? I think it'll happen online. Hate to be a Debbie Downer.
1: Should we put money on this? Because I think it will happen. Oh, I don't know,
0: man. I don't want... I don't,
1: no. Uh, I don't know. I'll tell you what. Yes, it we'll have to
0: do something regardless. It doesn't matter. I don't give a matter.
1: fuck where it's happening. You and I can run something. We yes, can do that's, something. Yes,
0: that's very true. Yes. We
1: can definitely yes. do something. So yeah. whatever we do, let's make sure we make it online friendly. Yes, of course. Um, yeah. Trig. Trig is your character's Trig, name. Trig,
0: Trig, Trig Sulla. He's, Trig uh, Sulla? Yeah, he's going to...
1: He's no spaceman. He's, space he's got he's an no accent. Man. He uh, he's going to be the
0: ship's captain. He's going to be he. He wants to name the ship, the Bofis, Bocephus, but because he the had Bo- a dog Cephas. named he had a dog named Bocephus, Bocephus.
1: once. Yeah. That's lovely. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I was in that game. That before crew
0: didn't go for it, but we'll <laughs> see about it.
1: <laughs> oh, another gaming stuff. Kind of champions May twenty third to twenty fifth is online proceeds. Of course, as we said before going to help. To support tabletop events um let's see here I think anything else going on man there's so much stuff going on Brett I
0: don't even know <laughs> <laughs> nice <laughs> not, nothing that I can when contribute is your to.
1: when is your next Patreon uh, game with um uh, mama ship when is your mamaship game
0: not this Thursday which would be like May something first like the following yeah the eighth ish Thursday
1: next Thursday. Oh, next Thursday is the 7th. 7th. Yeah, because Friday's May 1st, okay. Holy of 2020.
0: So when you listen to this in 2021, you're wondering what the hell's going on you Yeah. Know, what we're talking about.
1: I still can't believe May is on Friday, dude. That's fucking crazy. I know. Crazy shit. Crazy. All right, enough of this banter. Let's go on to some other banter, random encounter banter. Random is. encounter
0: Segment of the show where we comment, where we talk about emails, voicemails, comments from social media, the forums. Got some pretty lengthy ones this week. Brett, do you want well, to I did, start?
1: No, you can start. I did most of the talking up front while you were scrambling around looking for your Spaceman Spiff dude. Matt V from
0: afar writes in.
1: This is pretty wordy, so feel free to skip if you want. And we'll move on to Jim Fitzpatrick. No. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. kidding. But Jim is up next. Carry on.
0: Been meaning to write in, but I've been struggling with trying to be productive and learn a couple new skills because I'll never have this much free time again. Oh, boy. Enjoy the family and kids a lot more because I'll never have this much free time again. (laughs) And enjoy leisure time and relax because you guessed it. I'll never have this much Much free free time. time again. Again, it's actually been very busy despite not working, and I'm putting a lot of stress on myself to not waste this opportunity, which I'm having varying levels of success with. So going way back. Oh, boy. He's going to start it. episode 283 where we talked about audio in role-playing games. I just use background music. There's no way I could personally remember to use that sound here or start this music there. I have a dozen or so different mixes on YouTube I use for it. I think the concept is cool, but I don't have the RAM for it. I'd have to set up special cues or something, but I'm not sure the payoff is worth all that extra work, and I'd probably lose, lose things elsewhere, wasting my bandwidth on trying to remember to read my cues. Fair enough, Matt. I can, yep, yep. Understand. I can understand. Totally. 285. Ideal game group. Size-wise, it's four to five for me. My groups are almost always bigger, but that's fine because then if one or two don't show, it's not a big deal. Of course, the players matter too. One of my groups that were all right have really started to to gel this last couple of weeks. We ran slash played a nearly flawless game this last week, actually. The kind you look back on and go, damn, I ran a great game and the players played a great game. So groups can grow into each
1: other over time as well. That's a very good point. Sometimes it takes a bit. Got a new game group, you get going, got to figure out what your uh, individual jams are, how all those jams jam together, right? I'm pretty sure that, uh, use the music analogy, your first time the jazz band gets together, it takes a bit to figure out how you work together. (laughs) It's all about
0: the jams.
1: All about the jams.
0: It's all about the jams.
1: Yes, the Justified Ancients of Moo. Carry on. Oh! What's well, that from, Brett? It. What's that from? That's yeah. from the Tri- Illuminatus trilogy, which was then co opted oh. by the KLF when they did the uh, Tammy Wynette song. KLF,
0: man! Yeah. The Ancients of Moo Moo.
1: Yeah, KLF Callistia Liberation Front, which is what they stole that from. Oh. Uh, yeah. That's
0: a, that's a rock and rock and
1: disco group. Yeah, carry on.
0: All right. I, man, look at that. I didn't know Brett knew about the KLF. Fuck yeah, I know about the KLF.
1: I don't, I
0: Brett, I just he's like, you know, Norwegian metal guy. I don't know. Scandinavian metal guy.
1: Well, every once in a while, you got to kick out the jams. And, you know, yeah. to do that, you yeah. know, there you go.
0: I learned something new about Brett this week, ladies and gentlemen. I'm here for you. All right. Moving on. 286 non-combat encounters. Depending on the game, I try and set up all encounters to be solved without combat. I try to set up just encounters, let the players figure out how to overcome it. I ran a Thieves Guild campaign back in 2nd edition, and ever since then, I've tried to make combat an option. Often the, best option I, b- often the best option, but still. I don't remember if you mentioned it, but if, as a GM, you want to promote it, you need to include XP in the reward cycle for overcoming guests without violence. Quests. Sorry, n- not guess.
1: Or guess, depends what the guest is there for.
0: Yes, quests and guess. Uh, without violence. Many games mention this in the rules, but many don't. I'd say you may even want to award a bigger XP reward because of the sacrifice of loot in the reward cycle. Alternatively, find a way for to help them RP-wise or even mechanically in the future. Continuing on. 287, GM's making player roles. I personally don't do it. I don't roll behind a screen anyway, so it wouldn't make a difference. I didn't know how to hide a roll when I started running online, and after that, I just dropped the screen. I used to get really mad about metagaming, but I've become totally meh over it the last 20 years. If that's how they have their fun, I'm not going to impede it. I'll just fuck with them. (laughs)
1: Love it.
0: I have both player types at my table now, and it works fine. In fact, I'm trying to remove all dice from my hands. I don't mind being a player where the GM does it, however... I have done the roll me 520s at the start of the session thing quite often in the past. Two, oh, excuse me. I am so sorry. That's what I get for drinking something with Coca-Cola in it. 290, weapon damage. I think here, and not just for weapon damage, size, ability to wield, but many things you spoke about, such as rations, ammo, and encumbrance, does it add to this particular game? The answer, in my opinion, is It Depends. Yay! Yay. I'm currently running Mutant Year year Zero. (laughs) 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 Mutant. Mutants, yes. Well, it depends on where you're from. I say Mutant. Mutant Year Zero. Things such as food, ammo, and comments really add to the game, and you'd lose a ton of feel without it. You find a a heavy artifact that takes up two slots, but you'll have to drop some food and water to carry it. Do you? Red Market is another game that really comes to mind where counting pennies adds to the game. Encumbrance works best in slots, in my opinion. If it's weight, you can waste half a game session shuffling objects around, which I've yet to see someone have a good time doing. What? Brett has a good time doing it, don't you, Brett?
1: Oh, yeah. Nothing more fun than math. Carry on. (laughs)
0: Continuing on, in general, I don't think encumbrance ability to wield a weapon, etc., add to the game. I could see it for OSR games, which isn't my jam, but in general, things that slow the game down with little gain should be avoided. And you should definitely have to open with it. You can't add that into a game like d d halfway through. No, no. It'd be pretty messed up, honestly, and that game tends to be designed with certain assumptions in mind. It's like when you see people, you want to strip magic from it. Uh, you are fundamentally changing the foundation of how all the mechanics work because at some level, it's assumed you have access to magic. I really like the way games like Cypher System do them. All weapons of the same type have the same tests. Oops, sorry. Same stats. Great. So you can use an axe or a broadsword without going, damn, I'm screwing myself mechanically. I've also been playing a little 2D20 recently, and I really like their weapons because of the effects. I don't think any two weapons are the same, so each weapon actually makes a difference. All right guys, stay safe out there and we'll talk later. Coming down on 300. That's pretty epic. Yeah, shit man.
1: We are coming down 300.
0: Right, we are coming down to 300. It's just hey, it's just another day.
1: Just, just another, another day. Just another, another BS day. day, man. Just another day of BS. Matt, thank you much. That's some good thoughts right there.
0: Yeah, thanks, Matt. I'm glad to hear from you because I always get nervous when I hear, you know, like Matt used to be like, yeah, almost every week, and then you go like weeks without hearing from. Him. I get a
1: little, I get a little worried, Matt. Well, <laughs> like any friend, you like, I haven't heard from you out. You okay? Yeah. <laughs> Want to make sure things are. We cool. should have reached out to Matt. Shoulda, shoulda. I put that on your doorstep. Uh, the other one of the things he mentions in there about XP. Awarding. I think we might need to talk about that again, simply because of a thing I'm running into. So I've made a note. I'll talk to you about that later. Might turn into another topic. Next Uh up, let's see here. What do we got? I believe it is Mr. Jim Jim Fitzpatrick. Comments on weapon damage over on our forums. says he agrees with Sean. Oh, Jim. Yeah, baby. We're friends, Jim. Bookkeeping, all that weapon stuff is total wankery. When you have a player that knows they need eight feet to use a whip every time they want to make a melee attack, you as a GM have to know the answer to the question, do I have enough space? Every single time the player wants to make a melee attack. Hard pass on that wankery. What I want as a GM is the ability to throw a wrench into the player's plans when it would add to the tension. Dungeon Roll calls, calls this idea um, to show a downside to the race class or equipment. Maybe the party is in a super tight hallway and the paladin's two-handed great axe is a big disadvantage versus the rogues daggers if the system supports this then i can use that to ratchet up the tension like this 5e until you get into the hallway you have disadvantage on attacks with your axe it's just too constricted in here and you can't get a good swing fate this is a super tight hallway aspect so i'm going to spend a fate point this gm penalize the paladin's attack Hmm. cypher this is going to be a really hard place for you to use your axe until you get out of the hallway intrusion you're going to have to figure something else out. If you still try to use it, the difficulty will be two steps harder. Dungeon world player rolls a six minus and turns out they didn't have enough room to swing the ax that got stuck in the tunnel wall. How the hell are they going to get it out? This forces the players to adapt temporarily or suffer the consequences. But worrying about that all the time is not something I would think of as fun. The key word in all this is temporarily changing the game. I actually think that realizing your character is suboptimal for a task is one of the most fun parts of RPGs because it makes you think outside the box. There's also this potential for a big feeling of release when you get out of the hallway into a bigger room full of kobolds, and it can have all your toys back again. Really good episode to listen to, and uh, on an isolated quarantine walk. <laughs> well, thanks, man. I like that idea. There's something cool about that—a temporary limit, right? i think it is another piece that you mentioned there jim when um when you say realizing character suboptimal for a task is one of the most fun parts because thinking outside the box i do know players and i have played with some of them over the years that hate being suboptimal for anything grinds their gears like nothing else as a game master i find watching that gear grinding rather enjoyable so i like this and those are some damn good examples too a 5e fate cypher and dungeon world type of piece so I think that's totally cool. You can pull that in there and make it a temporary thing based on the situation, the environment. Sean, as you pointed out last episode, so I like it. Good examples, man. Thank you very much. Yeah, over, thanks, Jim. Over to you, Sean. All righty.
0: Jared Rasher. That's Jared.
1: I think that's lost on everybody. I, I hope it is. Yeah. I, I like it to be lost on you. i like yeah. never do that again.
0: We have this commercial in uh, Madison. There's a a jeweler called Jared's. Remember that, Oh! That's Jared!
1: Oh. I don't don't (laughs) listen to the radio. I don't listen to the radio.
0: Anyways, neither do I. Uh, Moving on. (laughs) Jared Rasher also comments on weapon damage on our forums. There are a number of ways to go with making different weapons matter beyond just determining different damage types. While sometimes it's only narrative, PBTA games, or Powered by the Apocalypse games often have tags for weapons that essentially imply when you can and can't use them and what the consequences for using them are for example loud weapons are going to alert any guards if you use them
1: like cymbals uh, snare drums and tubas tubas yeah or, or drums 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 too oh you you throw that out there? You bring the you bring the brass band? No. Anyway, yeah. carry on. Good point. Good point, Brett.
0: Cuz you use drums as weapons.
1: Hey, <laughs> bards do. True. See? Mark <sighs> me, you bastard.
0: Messy weapons will mean you need to spend time cleaning up if you don't want to leave evidence. Some tags have more directly mechanical effects like some games which have a dangerous tag for weapons. Meaning if you get a six minus, not only do you get the usual hard move for failure, but the weapon also harms someone in range that you didn't intend to harm. Hmm. Yeah, that's good times. That's good stuff there. Good money. I like it. Several fate variants will have you assign aspects to weapons so that if none of your regular aspects make sense to tag, the weapons aspect may be something logical to tag so you can spend a fate point on a roll. FFG's Genesis, uh, also uh, Star Wars FFG and Modiphius's 2d20 system often have a regular damage rating, but also various traits that can be can be triggered by spending the currencies in that game, advantage, etc. to trigger special effects. For example, knockdown might be, might let you spend extra meta currency to knock an opponent to the ground so you can either get a bonus to hit them or they have to spend part of their round standing up. In 13th age, weapon damage is conditional to the character class. In other words, the damage done by a barbarian using a two-handed weapon is higher than anyone else using a two-handed weapon. And a rogue using a small weapon does more damage than most other classes using small weapons. It doesn't matter how you describe the weapon. A rogue with a dagger or a qatar does the same damage, and a barbarian with a maul or a greatsword does the same damage. Did you know that, Brett? I didn't know if you read
1: 13. I have, but it has been a number of years since I've read it, so I was not up on that one.
0: In The Wayfarer's Guide to Eberron, there was a sidebar on environmental elements that sadly didn't get added to Eberron Rising from the last war. Essentially, it said you can assign environmental descriptions to an area, and if they were cited by a player or the DM and relevant to what was being done, they might add advantage or disadvantage to a role. In this case, if the DM said a location has low ceilings, even if a tactical map is showing a 10-foot wide passage, the DM could say that any two-handed slashing or bludgeoning weapon has disadvantage on attack rolls. I honestly think a situational descriptor like this is more likely to be remembered and more functional than having rules buried in a rulebook about the space needed to use a weapon. I've said this before, but I don't think having more granularity to rules actually makes for a more realistic experience. Since you touched on it in the show, I don't think tracking 250 days of rations day by day is actually more realistic. It's just more bookkeeping. Rations, even long term dry rations, don't last that long. Yeah, yeah Okay. All right.
1: No, well, fair. Yeah, fair. There, and the other piece that's interesting here is like one, one person, one gamer's realist, one gamer's realistic. Oh, this yeah. helps realism for us. Somebody else goes, that doesn't do a fucking thing. I hate that. That's just bookkeeping annoyance. So it's a balance. And I like the ideas that people are throwing out here is like, hey, um, we still got some more here to go, but if the rules don't give you something, if you use a core mechanic, which Sean, you and I have hammered on for like six years now, if the core mechanic allows you to do something, advantage, disadvantage in a 5e type of thing, utilize that, it will be immediately grokked by your players like, oh yes, I'm doing something at at a disadvantage because of the scenario, I'll change that around. It makes sense. You don't have to build a whole mini game, metagame behind it. So, anyway, carry on, carry on.
0: Well, like, who's Carl points out, um, what about
1: dry rashers? Jared, Dry Jared rashers? Dry rashers. <laughs> oh, rashers of bacon. It's, or you're saying Jared is a humor? Know,
0: dry rations, dry anyway,
1: rashers. Anyway, carry on. Really? <laughs> We love uh, Jerry. I don't, on.
0: To, don't want to listen to who's Carl. All right. Nobody should listen. Nobody should
1: listen to who's Carl. I say rules. I'm getting
0: rules care. would be Carry something on. like like group skill checks to forage. Wait a minute. Oh. I'll back up a second. Forage. No, we were up above, right? It makes more sense to have regular checks <sighs> for characters ah, getting yes, enough. There
1: we go. Uh, it I'm makes probably.
0: more sense to have regular checks for characters getting enough food and supplies from hunting and foraging and saving rations. Or rashers, as something you need to have to take a long rest in a dungeon setting. But the whole exploration side of D is exactly
1: what my team is doing right now. D and D,
0: but the Sorry, whole, but the whole exploration side <laughs> of D actually needs to be mechanized in a way that makes long-distance travel meaningful. Rather than saying that you roll for encounters and weather every day and check off day-by-day use of rations because that's not really rules, that's accounting. Rules would be something like group skill checks to forage, look out for bad weather, and scout the path, with penalties being levels of fatigue and days added to the trip. Adventures in Middle Earth has a good system for this, but it requires you to rework how you use long rests. You can't long rest while journeying and focuses on a kind of awe and wonder of nature in its resolution. And for a lot of games, you just want the weight of a long march and the tension of survivals,
1: not awe and wonder. Yeah, there's some some groups really want to have exactly what Jared's talking about, which I absolutely think is a good idea. I think another piece, like, some people want to do the accounting, and if they want to check off, like, we're in Undermountain right now. It's a prolonged dungeon stay. Checking off the rations for us, for my group uh, that Alpha's running for, it's working fine. And we know that if we start running short, we we'll start getting fatigue. It's going to wear us down. You know, you can uh, be exhausted to death in five e We're going to start taking levels of exhaustion if we don't get food. So there is a mechanical component that's going to impact us, and we're as we watch our stores tick off, and we see them start to dwindle. It's causing us to figure out what are we going to do, how long can we go, so on and so forth. Now, Jared may be in that same game with us saying, oh, my God, it's the most tedious component of that part, blah, blah, blah. And I would, that's absolutely legitimate. His What he's talking about here is just another way to attack a similar problem. So I love it. Very good option. Good stuff, man. Thank you, Jared. Yeah, thanks, Jared. Always insightful. Good stuff.
0: Have a voice veil for Mr. Shorb.
2: All right. I love these. Let's go right. Sean, it's Chris Shorb. How are you guys doing in this uh, pandemic times? I wanted to call in about your recent episode about weapons. You know, I was reminded of, uh, I, I haven't even listened to the end of it, but Brett kept on saying after you guys talked about, oh, if you use a scimitar in a 10-foot corridor, how you would get a negative to your to your damage. And Brett was saying, why not do that? Why not implement those rules? And my thinking was, Why implement those rules? What do they actually add to the game? What do they add to the fun at the game? What types of games is that going to be a useful rule to have? To have that kicky-tacky little, oh, you're in this situation, and so you do less damage. Why? Is that fun for players? I'm up in the air. Maybe some groups, that's fun. My groups, I don't think they would have, I don't think that would be interesting to them. But, you know, they're not old, most of my players are not old school. uh, Old school DM, Old school Dungeons & Dragons players. The other thing, uh, you guys, uh, during that conversation I was thinking about was Starfinder, which I don't think either of you guys have played, but I think both of you would, pretty, would enjoy it, except that it's a Pathfinder rules, and there's pages and pages and pages of weapon information, but by and large, most of those weapons are pretty much like one of seven different types of, of damage, and then they kind of get more powerful as they go along, which kind of aligns with their level system, which feels like an, a kind of an abstraction that they kind of shoehorned into the Shoehorned in but it's not actually doesn't really improve the, the quality of the game and so I'm thinking about a way to do Starfinder in a different system maybe 5e, maybe Apocalypse prior the Apocalypse. and I think that having that the weapons list is a key place where there can be improvements made. Anyways, great show take care guys,
1: bye So Chris I think what be, where it becomes fun adding the ticky tacky pieces is fucking with players' expectations and assumptions. Assumptions more so than expectations. Assumptions is a better word. My group has ignored, or we have an assumption, that I can carry a lance in a dungeon, let's say. No one stopped that before. So when you start off a new game and say, hey, I've got some stuff, and we're going to do this. Oh, neat. Oh, cool. It changes an aspect of something that is very familiar and sometimes not it's like the familiarity breeds contempt type of concept, right? We become blasé, you become, ah, I can always do this. It doesn't matter. I'll take the two-handed pole axe down the dungeon. It'll be fine. By tweaking it, even if it's just for one game or only in certain scenarios, you're messing with the assumptions. And you're messing with it in a fun way, at least for some groups, that you're challenging, oh, you always it has always worked this way before. We're gaming a a new game now. We started this at the beginning and didn't just inject this in the middle. But I'm doing something to make something old new again. Give you a reason to have a fighter who doesn't always carry a two-handed sword. Give you a reason to have, you know, people using crossbows as opposed to longbows and so on and so forth. Again, using fantasy trophy type of things. That's a a reason, whether it's the, the reason or a really good reason, Chris. I don't know and I don't even know if that necessarily answers your question around that but that's part of the fun at least for my home group is messing with the assumptions like oh shit yeah you know what we've never really thought about x let's see what happens when we think about x does that change how we play and for us um it's about 50 50 sometimes it totally does and other times like yeah it doesn't really impact us which is fine too but anyway that's just you asked why and that, that is a reason i can think of so sean over to you sir
0: I read the last one. You want to read this one? Oh, you want shit, me to read yeah, this? you did.
1: I'll do it. I'll do it. So Phil emails us about Mothership, probably telling Sean how he's doing it wrong. Yeah. Hey, BSers, I've recently discovered your podcast. It's fantastic. Holy crap, dude. Thank you. That's very kind of you. Uh, like a number of people, I find myself a lot of time on my hands. Uh, so I've been going through your back catalog. I love hearing you talk about Call of Cthulhu and Astonishing Swordsman, Sorcerer's Hyperborea. I primarily play D&D, so listening to you guys discuss other systems has me jonesing to expand my horizons with my own gaming group. Listening to Sean describe Mothership immediately made me think of Call of Cthulhu's system with the percentile dice rolls. I have some familiarity with COC, so on Sean's recommendation, I picked up the Mothership Player's Guide Dead Planet and The Haunting of Ypsilon 14, all in PDF. I described the premise of the game to my group, Aliens Event Horizon, The Thing and immediately bid on it. We're all pumped to give it a roll. Thanks, guys, Phil. That's awesome! So Sean, if Phil comes back and says, This game sucks. It's the worst time ever my my group spit up. We get to blame you.
0: It's not gonna happen. It's not gonna happen. <laughs> Phil's gonna come back and go, oh, it's a great game. Or he he will say, It's a good game. Yeah. Worst worst case scenario. It's a good game.
1: Well, he's got a group that he he gave him an idea. Hey, it looks like this. This is kind of what it, it does. And everyone's oh yeah, let's try it. That is huge. That is huge. There's so many times I have brought stuff to the table over the decades with my group and said, "Hey, there's a really neat idea." Three of them go, "Wow, that sounds fun." The other one's like, oh, "I guess I'd try that." Put that on the don't do that list. <laughs> it's not. You're not going to get a lot of buy-in on that one, kids type of thing. But if he's got the whole crew, all those men and women raising hands saying, "Yes, I want to try that," that's a big win. So, hey, Phil, welcome, welcome to the show, man. Glad you, glad you found us, and I hope you enjoy the back catalog. There's plenty yeah, of it. Yeah,
0: thanks, Phil.
1: Very much, man. That's pretty cool.
0: All right, Harrigan. Oh man.
1: Oh, this Harrigan. guy. Harrigan this guy. was
0: Harrigan was in Brett's game, uh, his, his Avalon game, mm-hmm. uh, actual play here on Twitch and YouTube. Uh, he and I have been trying to hunt down this email for like a month.
1: <laughs> so, really?
0: Yeah. So this thing is old, but nonetheless, hey man, I want. He went through the effort, and he was like, "Hey man, I I don't know if so you is ever this got what you're it." You're talking about yeah.
1: pre-recording. You're like, yes. oh, "Where the hell is his email? What the fuck yes. happened to it?" So here we go, and All here right. we go. So Harrigan
0: writes in some time ago about innovation in RPGs. So he's going back that far, and oh. specifically Todd Crapper's comment on episode 281 about damage in RPGs. So yeah, if you didn't hear that episode, hopefully you will sum up a little bit of about it. But regardless. Here we go. So, guys, have been meaning to write
1: for some time, and we've been so, meaning to read this for some time.
0: Carry indeed. On. Right. Uh, thought about writing to say that most innovation in RPGs will lag until there's real money to be made in the hobby. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Hold on a second. There's not, there's not real money in this hobby, Brett. Did you get paid in peanuts, Brett? I know. I'm just being I, I was facetious. Able, I did.
1: I was. A, I have so far been able to buy two, kind of two bottles of whiskey. From my Avalon proceeds. So that's... Uh, hey. and, not, and not like shitty old Thompson stuff either. It's been some pretty good pretty good stuff. So right, man. That makes me happy.
0: Come on now, Harrigan. All right. I understand what he's talking about. Absolutely. Pondered a missive about encounters about how in my current Black Hack game, some players were crapping their pants because I threw a river troll with seven hit dice at their first level PCs. They presumed they had to fight it and then discovered... He just wanted to talk. Ah, it's one of those new. It's one of those new hip hip like whatever, river a, trolls?
1: A, that's like it, this goes back to what I what I said to Chris Shore. Probably right? had it's, fur it's on top of his head and well, it's an assumption. It's an assumption <laughs> twist, right? Oh my god! Oh wait, you don't want to. What does this troll want anyway, Sean?
0: Uh to know if they'd seen his troll girlfriend. Hey, no. legit. Yeah, yeah. Of course, when they waved goodbye and wanted to use the bridge, he lived under. His toll was to eat one of them.
1: <laughs> so he's still a troll and yeah. at heart. I mean, he's like, "Hey, have you seen my girl? I'm missing? Blah blah blah. We want to cross the bridge. Ah, I gotta eat one of you. Sorry, troll. It's a thing I do. What you gonna do?"
0: In the end, they cooked him a feast, which he, which we modeled as a multi-part challenge involving persuasion, hunting, gathering, cooking, and food presentation. Nice. It was loads of fun, and not a sword was drawn. Very cool. But what I want to talk about is this. Episode 284, Todd Crapper opens the can of red wigglers when he writes in about damage and hit points. So... To kind of uh, bring people up to speed, Todd Crapper, Broken Ruler Games, game designer, publisher. Yep. Was, we were talking about hit points, and he was like, what are hit points? I don't, you know, games that have hit points. Or people, no, the Jason Bourne thing. The people who create Jason Bourne's and want to be like indestructible, and then there's hit points. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't add up, right? Some, right? Did I sum that up a little bit? Pretty much, yeah. Something like that. Um, so he goes on, first off, loads of RPGs don't use hit points. It's just the D&D branch of our hobby that's so stuck on them. Second, Brett brought up his distaste for plot armor and for, and for just following along with a story that's basically already written. There are, are indeed games like that, especially indie and story games that specifically state, quote, this is not about whether you survive, survive or succeed. This is about what it costs you or about how you get there, end quote. Harrigan's take
1: part the first. So I'm going to jump in for a second. So let me add this in here. Maybe this will, Harrigan, you, after you hear us read this and whatnot. So plot armor already written is how you get there. That statement bothers me. How you get wherever it was you ended up that's more interesting to me, hmm. right? Yeah, I'm not adverse to getting them to a point you getting want them to. Get, getting the characters to a point, which is really cool. Just find out in story, blah blah blah. But a predisposed idea of you are going to do X. How do you accomplish that thing? Has little to no interest to in me. So I don't know if that helps or not. But anyway, carry on. Thanks for the clarification, Brett. Do my best to help. Harrigan's
0: take, Part the First: There is a huge space in between a DCC funnel's random "You're dead" and "You're dead" and "You're dead" mantra, and something like Fate, which says, "No death, unless no PC death unless the player agrees." There are games in the middle that either use meta currency or softer death mechanics that keep the thrill there without making it a bloodbath. Savage Worlds, Shadow of the Demon Lord, Barbarians of Lemuria, the list goes on. hmm True, okay. true. True, true. Harrigan's Take Part Do I actually like both ends of the spectrum for different games and experiences. Sometimes I want that on-the-edge OSR thrill, but other times I've pondered a lot into developing poured, a character. Poured a lot. Poured a lot. Poured. What'd I say?
1: Pondered. Pondered. Which is, may also be true, but you probably poured more than pondered.
0: Fair. But other times I've poured a lot into developing a character who has an interesting story I'd like to tell during the game. You don't need to do one for the other. Play different games. You can have your cake, eat it, and even share with some friends. Provided they sit six feet apart and observe proper social distancing etiquette. Anyway, there's two cents you don't need. Best wishes for you both, your families and all BSers in stressful times. Hang in there, everyone.
1: Harrigan very cool I think if Harrigan um, having met Harrigan finally uh, in virtual person this last weekend I think this would be one of those cool things if I get a chance to talk to him again in person be like huh what about right there's so many bits and pieces and nuances to this, but I think the important thing here is you don't need to do one or the other there's different options there's ways you can make this function and there's a piece here, what I actually like both ends of Spectrum, as he says, different games and experiences. Sometimes you want one versus the other. And that's very true, I think, of a lot of us who've gamed a lot of different things. And even sometimes it's true of us who play one game system with our home group. We play Pathfinder, we play D&D, or we play Call Cthulhu. And sometimes we want to change it. We want to tell a slightly different story or have a different result or something with the same mechanic, you know. And sometimes just having that piece can be very interesting. So, anyway, good points. Good points, Harrigan. Thank you, man.
0: Yeah, thanks, Harrigan. Glad we rounded that up and had, didn't have to make you retype it and rethink about it or rethink yeah. and type it up. Sweet. <sighs> Let's get into the main topic, Brett. What do you say, buddy? Let's go. Main topic. topic. Main topic. <laughs> main, main, main.
1: What are you talking about, Brett? All right, so Tom over in the forums, and Huscarl punted in on this one, too, a little oh, bit. Oh, that's so, why he's tuning
0: in tonight. That's probably Carson Of
1: course it is. But Tom uh, letters off here, and he said this is something he's fallen prey to. If you decide to run a campaign for your group, previously run for another group, be very careful. Your expectations are going to run along with what your previous group did. I can't guarantee you the new group will probably go in a, d- in a direction you've never thought possible. It's usually be- best to avoid trying to recreate the previous campaign unless you're prepared for this. This got me thinking because just this last weekend, I ran a Fish Story, which is the third variation of that Avalon Adventure. The first time I ran it, had a different bad guy monster set, and then the last two times, similar bad guys monster set. But I've been tweaking and messing with it, and it's been different groups each time. And oftentimes, we'll talk about this when we're running a one-shot or a convention game, Sean. We've said this before. Hey! If you run a convention game, boy, it's crazy. Those kids, they gave them this one adventure and, oh, well, they went off over here and befriended the dragon and killed the goblins. What do you know? And the next adventure, they killed the killed the dragon, befriended the goblins. And this next one, they killed everybody or whatever. And we're very used to that. Campaigns, though, the start to finish like, hey, we're going to go through the entire Dragonlance campaign. We're going to go through um, a Pathfinder adventure path. Some really cool thing you've done. If you've run Ravenloft before... I'm picking on things that I, I hope are more well-known within the gamer sphere. You know, these big monolithic things like a uh, Massive Nyarlathotep. If you've run the original, like, oh, I'm going to do this again. I, I think, in my opinion, is much easier for some, somehow anyway, at least in Brett's head, when I look at a one-shot game or a single adventure and say, ah, yes. I've run White Plume Mountain before. I've run it a number of times. Boy, I can't tell you the fun I've had running this adventure. Blah blah blah. It's easier to change on the fly when the characters move things around than it is to do an entire campaign. At least in my opinion, that's what I want to talk about today. Sean, have you had the uh, the pleasure, or have you tried to rerun an entire campaign, or just a adventure? <laughs> And I tried to
0: rerun Tomb of Annihilation just they to asked Tony Sugarloaf and Josh Wallace how that went. Um, it did not go well. Well, that was partially me. If It just,
1: yeah. I've heard, i heard.
0: I know. It was a train wreck.
1: We're better people. We'll talk trains in a minute. Hold that trains! button. Trains! In a minute, not yet. Oh, it's okay. It's not the train time.
0: All right, sorry.
1: So have you done this with campaigns? Have you looked at like, oh, hey, I like the Kingmaker Path, or I liked... This big campaign. I'm not talking. I mean, quite frankly, some of the five E uh, adventures now. Storm King's Thunder. That's a, that's a goddamn campaign from level yeah. one to whatever. That's 20, a campaign. twenty or something. Yeah, I mean, that's just multiple times. So, have you yeah. done that?
0: I, I have not. I mean, the closest thing that I've run to something similar to that would have been Tomb of Annihilation with with the group and some of the patrons, and uh, it, it. I mean, so going to the topic at hand, it well, did not. It did not go like we go and do this and then we go and do this because I've run it, I'm running for Jeff and those guys, and they're kind of on the end of that whole thing after like two years. Um, so I was like part of what I, you know, hey, you land in this port of Zion, uh, or Zion Rahu or whatever it was called, yeah. you know, and it's like, okay, I'm gonna. I'll present this because that's what I presented the first time I went around and then it went in a different direction. And so there that whole campaign, just from when they said, "Okay, we're going to hire this guide and we'll take him up on their offer it would have been drastically different just from that
1: point forward, and that was way early. It
0: did wasn't that, like everything was the same until like the middle, and then it went off. And then like
1: well, no, excuse me. Did that throw your expectations off at all as the game master? Like ah fuck, I didn't know what they were gonna do. A little bit because the problem I had
0: was I was starting to use roll twenty, and I pre I I bought the pre published you know roll twenty module, and so got it. Yeah. So they were going into one spot, and I just, I didn't, for whatever reason, Roll20 wasn't, I wasn't jiving with it, and everything was messed up, and those guys couldn't see anything in their tokens, and it was just a mess, which really, again, aggravated the hell out of me. But now that I know it a little bit better, it would have been easier just to kind of roll with it, and Mm -hmm. uh, it would have been fine, but yeah, we'll see. I, I don't have a problem. I may run Tomb of Annihilation again if there's... I don't know how I would run it. I'd probably want a more dedicated group. A drop in, drop out might not be the greatest to run. Or I could run multiple parties through it. Okay. And but I don't know if I run it often enough to be able to coordinate four different parties going through it. And it would be cool if they were all going through it at the <laughs> same time.
1: Yeah, different pieces. Yeah, 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 got it. Which, which would be, which
0: would be fun because then you'd be like, wait a minute, these people were over here. This person ran into this,
1: like. How come there's a bunch of dead bodies in here? Yeah. Yeah. So to the topic, though, you've not, I guess, can you, since you haven't, I've done this to a point. I can definitely see where it's happened. When I I ran, um, well, I consider my very successful Vampire of the Masquerade, big 15-year stint with my friends, my home group, moved down to Madison while that was still going on, and I was running Vampire of the Masquerade for a different group.
0: Now wait, and, So hold on, you ran Vampire the Masquerade. A lot of listeners know you ran it for like 15 years. Yes. And how often did you run it though? Um, for the first,
1: excuse me, for the first 12 years, it was every Saturday. Every week for 12 every, years. Every week for about 12 years, yeah.
0: And during that time, how long did you run it for? Was it like a four-hour block, an eight-hour block?
1: So let's see, get there. Average. Yeah. Average, eight Six to eight. 68 hours. Six to eight, yeah.
0: Six to eight hours, yeah. Every Saturday for twelve years,
1: pretty much. I mean, this was like <laughs> right out of high school in a college, like that crazy. Is,
0: yeah, I know. That's when. That's the good times, man. That's when, like, yeah, hey, it was man. like when. Yeah, sleep, I work fuck. at
1: Subway for a couple hours at night, yeah, but not on Saturday. Like, hey, I'm good. Yeah, we we worked at Walden <laughs> Books in the mall. We would get done. We'd wander over to our buddy who hosted the game out of the back of the gaming, uh, the car, comic and game store. Go upstairs or into the ground floor when they moved. I'm there until we quit. I think it was, God, it had to be, t- even if it was only 10 years before I moved. Fuck. I have to go back into math. But regardless, we did this for a very long time. two
0: years or five years is, is crazy.
1: Yeah. So yeah. I tried to retread some of that campaign material when I came down to Madison. I was running with a buddy of mine, Ted Perchborn, and a number of other people. Oh, no, Ted, yeah. You don't know Ted. <laughs> don't lie to me. <laughs> So I'm, I'm calling out Ted because I'm gonna reference his name. So we're, we go along here and at one point, I'm running this thing like, oh, this is going really well. And I'm reliving this really cool thing that happened because I could see it. It's gonna happen, it's gonna happen. And a bunch of the people in the group, I think, I can't remember if some of the other players, named Ben was one of the ones, but like Ben and this other lady who was playing and this other these other kids that were all kids at the time, We're all playing. And they're like in, going right. I'm like, oh, my God, they're going to follow the same path. This is going to be so cool. And Ted's been real quiet. And he sits up and goes, this is a bad idea. Let me tell you why. From his character's perspective, he went, yeah, you're right. We go over here. I'm like, oh, what? Oh, it was like the first time I'd ever run a campaign, reused the campaign material. I went, holy fuck. Wow. I wasn't trying to, you know. Advertently push them, maybe I was inadvertently pushing them, you know, in the inadvertent or unexpected railroad, right? Where I was like, Oh, my God, I've got them on this track, and all oh, they're gonna go right to the station. And there's this sudden, horrible. Oh, they got off at the last switching station and went over here where there's nothing I have no fuck. <laughs> I was so hyped up and ready to go. And then they changed because Ted made a decision. Holy crap. And so when I read this from Tom, it reminded me of that flashback. And I thought, yeah, running individual game, like a convention game or uh tomb of horrors or a short adventure path, something you've run before. Oh, I run Queen of the Dimwad Pits at cons. I have a great time with it. Oh, I run this Call of Cthulhu adventure at cons. Always have a good time. Or I've run this whatever adventure versus the entire campaign, which is weeks, months, sometimes years of actual play depending on what your actual play time that can be it can be really tempting sometimes when things go a certain way that you are inadvertently pushing the players in a certain path because like well this is what happened last time and that was fun you know or you see them going down a path oh that wasn't much fun i don't want them to do that there something horrible <laughs> could happen you know you, you can start kind of <laughs> A tapping the edges, you know, tilting the, the, the pinball machine just a little bit, just a, just a bit. I want to hit the flipper just a little bit, you know, it can happen. And I think it's, when you're doing it with a campaign, it's kind of like killing your darlings in a way. Like you write a thing, you give it to the editor, and Bob Iverson goes through and tears up your shit. And Sean Merwin looks at you and says, why are you writing this? This is silly. This is this draft Crap, Babylon. crap, crap, it's all <laughs> crap, crap, What's crap. Yours? Well, is what Sean told me initially when my first piece of Avalon I sent to him he goes, this is not good enough. I'm like, oh, but he was dead right, right. So it got way better. It's really cool. But it's a process <laughs> and when you're and when you're looking at this and when you're looking at this thing, you're like, oh, this is this really cool campaign. you have to be prepared that they're gonna do crazy stuff and all that prep work you thought you could reuse for multiple sessions of reuse ain't gonna work or it might not work, be prepared. You know what I'm saying? It's not like, oh, I've run the Kingmaker trilogy, quadrology, whateverology, you know, which takes six months of gaming every week to accomplish. Oh, I have all this prep work done. I'm ready to go. I have master and iron tip plus the big box. I'm ready to go. Fine. Next time you run it, sons of bitches run off to Singapore. Why? I don't know, they went off to Singapore. And <laughs> You're like, I didn't bring it to Singapore. Stuff with me. I we're not in Hong Kong. Uh, you're, you're supposed to go to London. Ah, oh, fuckers. Uh, it can happen. So, <laughs> what I started to do when I rework campaigns now is I take the concept of the campaign and say, Hey, what was really cool was saving the dragon. What was really cool was searching for this MacGuffin or whatever the concept of the campaign was. And I keep the shell, the framework, the spine, the through line, whatever other writer-y type of words you wanna use or phrases. I try to keep that thing and build off of that and see where it goes. So instead of reusing all the nits and gnats of a campaign, what I start doing is looking for the bigger components of it. Even if you were to run like Storm King's Thunder, or in your case, you know, um, Tomb of Annihilation, you have all the right pieces and parts because it's all written down there in the pre-published adventure, right? So you have enough and, you're con- and you know enough of the entire adventure that if they go in and hire the shifty guide that everybody else has never hired, you know enough about that campaign that you're not caught flat-footed. You know, you know what I'm saying, Sean? Does that make sense? Oh, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. So you don't, you don't look like you're agreeing with me. Are you agreeing no, with agree. me or not? Yeah, no, okay. I
0: totally agree. Yeah, you're You look ne-
1: distracted. You're distracted. You're paying attention never- to it at all. <laughs> God damn it.
0: I'm not distracted. I swear <laughs> to God. Uh, you know, I'm going to probably run Mothership again. And I'll probably run Dead Planet. And I'm sure it's going to be just a complete... It'll be totally different. I'll probably run it totally different. I'm okay with it. It's not a huge campaign. I'm not overly... I mean, it's... It's probably a mini campaign at best. Maybe it's floor sessions. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, I and I anticipate that. Some of the older adventures, maybe not so much because I think they're pretty linear, I think.
1: Some That's of the fine. old um, modules, as they call them back in the ancient days, yeah, yeah, pretty linear. Some were very linear.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's not, hey,
1: here's here's the thing. Well, here's the two of horrors. You're outside the swamp. You have three entrances. Which one do you go in? Right. <laughs> Watch him die. Right. I mean, that's <laughs> that one's like here's the outside. See see how far you get before you die. Everybody knows that. That's what you're in for. You go in, the the handle turns and you know, ground burger comes out the back end of that dungeon. I mean, that's you can go
0: in one of three entrances, but only one of them is going to get you in there. So. Maybe. Who knows? <laughs> Spoiler: You're wrecking it. Oh, sorry.
1: Well, maybe. Yeah. Maybe. There's an soda. entrance
0: to the tomb of horrors that you may never get through
1: and yeah, into. Exactly. All right. Anyways. So, one of the things I was thinking about, to Tom's point, is if you want to reuse something, you know, to kind of help you fight the advertent or inadvertent, pushing the players in a direction, you know, kind of avoiding the, oh, this is the right thing to do, or I have all my prep done in this way, or this was so much fun last time, please do it this way. It's kind of clearing your mind, if you will, and realizing this is going to be a whole new set of fun. This is new people, a new approach. And when I ran, so for example, let's go back to something really recent for me, is my Streets of Avalon game this last Saturday. The way way Tony Sugarloaf Baker was running Reverend Cat, the cleric, he ran Reverend Cat a way I've not had anybody run a cleric in Avalon before. Just a different way. <laughs> it was cool. I'm like, huh, wow, I guess those clerics are here. That's neat. When I ran um, for V.C. Young, uh, because he was a backer for the Kickstarter, I went down to Chicago area, hung out with him and his buddies, and ran a game. I'm forgetting his friend's name. I feel like an idiot now. Chris, I think it was Chris. You should
0: tell me in like a second. We'll right. see.
1: Anyway, but he played Aliche, another priest, and he was the – most money-grubbing could give a fuck about anybody <laughs> cliche i I've ever had in Avalon in many, many years of running it. I'm like, holy crap. That's a thing I've learned about this setting. That was TJ. TJ, thank you. So I think if you look at that and the way people run these, Chris. Those... He doesn't know. Or Chris. I think oh, it, it was Chris. Chris. Hobbs' cousin. Chris. Yeah, Hobbs' cousin, <laughs> yes. So I think it was Chris. So so anyway, when you see that (laughs) stuff and you've got a beloved campaign, be it one you've written or one that you've run multiple times that's pre-published, as you're cranking through it and the players are coming up with new stuff, think of it as, wow, this is a new bit of fun. This is something you're learning about this campaign that you enjoy. Another piece that you can do, in my experience, is using the activities of the previous campaigns kind of as background events for the new campaign. So if you get to a point Sean's busy chatting with somebody Not, right now.
0: She's <laughs> <laughs> throwing me like five names and I don't even think he I don't even think he was at the game.
1: <laughs> yeah, you, I'm pretty sure he was there. Anyway. So if you're running if you're running like Tomb of Annihilation, you, you alluded to it, Sean. we are like, hey, if I ran it with multiple groups all doing blah blah blah. So if you think so in this I don't know that adventure very well. So you said the first group comes in, they hire this dude where the other group never would have done that. Even if you don't do the two actual real life competing type of things like, hey, two uh, adventuring parties competing for the same goal. If one group went out and started dealing with the Orc King, or they started dealing with, you know, the Fairy King's problems or whatever it is, suddenly there's shit going on outside that you can take. Hey, the previous time I ran this campaign, Sean and Eileen made a pact with the Dark Lord, who lived over here, and because of that, it really changed stuff. You know what's gonna be cool? I'm gonna take that event, and if the regular player characters don't engage with the Dark Lord, I'm gonna make that thing happen, because it's really cool, it leads to some neat stuff, that if I do that, it makes the Dark Lord such a cool NPC, I want this new group to experience it. And it's a way that you can take these background events it's kind of like having the world being alive and shit's happening, even if you're not there. But you kind of take this wonderful thing that your previous group did, drop it in as this thing occurred, and that's why this new ball is starting rolling down the hill. You follow what I'm saying, Sean? I think so, man. You think so? I think so. What are you, what are you dense?
0: Can you slow it down and speak clearer? <laughs> Louder and
1: clearer. <laughs> louder and clearer? I can't get much louder or clearer. <laughs> no, Turn it up. Don't, don't do it louder. Does it make sense though? It does make sense, yeah. The other thing I think, and I remember this from running, I haven't run a lot of old school published adventures in a while, but when I ran White Plume Mountain the last time, I had some cool ideas that I wanted to implement. One I, I forgot to do. I'm like, ah, fuck. I forgot.
2: I hate that. So I'll do that that
1: next time. So I make a note, like I'm going to do this next time, type of thing. So I think well, the other piece when you think longer term campaigns, even, and you look at that adventure and you say, oh man, they're running through Midgard, and they didn't deal with the Shadow Elves, man, I really wish somebody would have. You know what I'm going to do next time I run this campaign? I'm going to put the Shadow Elves front and center, brother. That's what I'm doing. They're going to push. I'm going to push them right out there. And I think that's no an opportunity. No backseat for shadow elves. No, but that's, this is the opportunity, right? Where you're seeing the campaign and how do you make it so that it's new to you as well as to the players? And one way to do that is take the pieces of it that you wished people had ventured through or you wish that they dug into deeper and flip the script a little bit, if you will, and make that have a bigger center stage type of thing. So another way to do something with it to help kind of mess it out, mess it, out mess it up a little bit, change it up a little bit. So that it doesn't feel to you like you've stuck somebody back on the old railroad that you're on the same path everybody else was on. You finally caught on They said railroad like five times already. (laughs) I'm getting old and slower. I know. So Sean, what do you think? If you were, if you do, let's say, let's pick two of Annihilation again. Do you have things that you would definitely do different this time through? Like, hey, I wouldn't start them in this town and start them in this other town. Would you shortcut fast track? You know, in order to not just make it new for you, but maybe even just improve it for your players, make them have a better experience, you think?
0: Uh, Yeah, maybe. I mean, there's so many, there's a a few different avenues that they could take to get. So Tomb of Annihilation, without spoiling it for anybody, it's not a big deal, but there are at the beginning a few vectors, I will say, in getting to the tomb. There just is. Like, you're on an island. Which way do you go?
1: No, you could fast-track that and say you're standing in front of the tomb. You could, yeah, and then they'll have to be something like sixth level. I'm just just saying, yeah. now, so that piece, because I, well, you have to be sixth level to do that.
0: I could start the campaign and say, okay, everybody make sixth level tunes, and then... Go for oh, it. Okay. You blah, 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 narrate the first, like, I don't know, five sessions in, like, 30 minutes And now you're at the tomb and you're going to go in.
1: Great. But, yeah. Okay. No, I I, I like, well, so I want to say I like that. And the reason I do is because if you want to get to the meat of it, you're like, okay, I want to get to the tomb right away. um, It always seems to peter out before we get to the tomb or shortly after we get into the tomb, everyone loses their their zest for the adventure. How about we narrate through the first five levels? Say, hey, when this happened, Ange, what did you do? that saved Jared's character. Hey, Jared, how did you interact with Fitzpatrick? How did you work with Chris Schorb or back and forth, you know, where you can have some of that kind of indie game, if you will, bonding between the characters. How did you guys get through this, that, and the other thing? How did you find that ring of invisibility over the last couple of levels while you'd ventured here? Yeah. And then you can dump them there and it's not, it doesn't feel you're just thrust in front of the dungeon door. But anyway, it's a different point being, it's a different take on it. That might make the adventure fresh for you, as the game master instead of going, "Oh yeah, we got five levels." Uh, bullshit vector slugging. If that's what you think,
0: man, I don't, I don't make it like that. There's not well, a player. Yeah, I you're t- you're, don't do that. Not no, a player that I'm gonna run through. That's gonna ever get like all, you know, this kind of sucks. Uh,
1: no way, man. Well, you're you're pro enough. You'd keep that down. You'd hide that behind this wonderful facade of. You know, but inside, if you're thinking, oh, this is terrible, you know, how can you make it new for you type of thing? I'm oh, trying fair. to help you, Sean. I'm trying
0: to help you. Man. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Totally. But, you know, Blake brings up a good point about, you know, what about playing in the game? Have you played you didn't play in your vampire game. We, I didn't play Tomb of Annihilation. So, how does playing in those adventures, if you're playing, if you're doing pre published, have you played it? Does that change things as you run it once or twice?
1: I don't know. Changes it when I play an adventure I've read before. The return on Un- no, no, the new- vice versa. Do you I'm just play saying, it I, first? I, I know for a fact. Well, no that, shit, like,
0: it's going to change you from like so having run it before. Can, then play I can, it.
1: I can only assume that flipping that would change it a bit as well. Sure, but you know how? Like, would you?
0: Would you go? Oh, my experience playing it was meh. So no. when
1: I read, I reread the Return to the Temple of Elemental Evil. I've not run it, but I played through it. Okay. My buddy Lenny had it. We ran through it. Yeah. We Crushed that fucking thing. Killed Thromol. Just crushed and, it. And we totally crushed it. We destroyed his wonderful campaign. It was glorious. He had to go upstairs <laughs> to put the kids to bed, and he told us to figure out what we wanted to do. <laughs> we had two hours. He was so screwed. Anyway, after I, after we went through that. I went through and read it. I found all the spots and things that he had changed or Ah. tweaked to, to deal with us. I'm like, Oh, I wouldn't have done that. You skipped this. And he would say, yeah, says Lenny, I didn't like this piece. I didn't like the way they ran this piece. I'm like, Oh, huh. I would do this different. So Lenny's one of my, my good friends. So I was able to go back. And when I read it, it said, Hey, did you do? Yeah. When you guys busted through the water temple, I made the decision that this next group, would have heard the ruckus, spied on you with their invisibility spells, and then fled. Oh, okay. I could have them spy go get reinforcements and hit the party while they're sleeping. That's what I could do. So when I read it back through, I was replaying the adventure I'd gone through and figuring out different ways to keep the same effect, but make it kind of Brett, you know, Mm. make it my feel. And in some cases, like, oh, oh, this one. If I run this one, I put Lenny through it. Oh, you'll never see this coming out. I'll f- oh, fuck that party up so bad. Ha, ha, ha. Got to get evil. <laughs> You're looking at it. Trying to make it interesting, you know? And um, when I watched a couple events, uh, events, big fights that we had, I'm like, huh. I don't know why he did that. And I read it. I'm like, oh, seems oddly written. Or I didn't like the description either. I would have done it this way. And having encountered it up front was an interesting kind of lens to look back on when you're rereading and go, Oh, here are the changes or forgot it. Hey, Lenny, what about this? Yeah, I forgot that. Oh, cool. Okay. You realize this artifact was supposed to cause this problem 10 levels later. Yeah. Fuck. We forgot that. Okay. Make note. <laughs> cause this shit happens. You forget stuff in a campaign. You drop a clue, you know, session two and it's supposed to pay off session six Oh. And everybody forgets it, including you. Even though you've got five sticky notes, it's something tattooed on the back of your hand, and a note on your on your laptop that says "Don't forget clue 5 You're like, I don't know what that is. I gotta it give I, it get f-
0: I give uh, game masters huge props when they can keep track of all that crap when they don't kind of tell you because there's I don't know about you, Brett, but you know you come across the magic item. Okay, detect magic. Yep, it's magic. Okay, I put it in my pocket as a game as a game master you could tell them what it is yeah you know rod of seven parts or whatever or you just say okay that's magic item number two and you make a note but then that was five sessions ago and now they whip it out and they're like okay i'm gonna pull this freaking thing out i'm gonna use it and smash it or whatever like i like to keep that
1: stuff on the download but Keep a track all that crap is. Oh, especially if you put it in your notebook. Where was it located? That where you left at home. Or oh. is it page three of the notebook? Oh, fuck, I threw that notebook out because I switched to graph note. Oh, my oh. God. That's what that note was for. It happens, right? Yeah. But I'll tell you, running, having, ru- ru- yeah, reading a campaign, reading a massive adventure um, that somebody else had done. And that's the only advantage, uh, the only way I have it, because my homebrew stuff, unless somebody were to run me through. An Avalon game, uh, adventure I've written. Everything else have you, done. You, have you played in Avalon? Twice. Who ran them? Alpha ran the first one, um, and Kevin ran one. Okay. Yeah, they're both fun. That's right, because
0: Kev ran.
1: Yeah, he ran for a Wednesday, Wednesday night. Yeah, Wednesday, Wednesday evening podcast, podcast all stars. Yeah, the yeah. Weed Boss team. He ran for that, That's and right. then uh, Alpha did. He was the first one. He's like, "Hey, I want to run an Avalon game. I've got this really cool idea." I went, oh, okay. And that was odd, in a way, because this is my setting, I wrote it. I know everything about it. But then come back into it as a player and say, this is Alpha's Avalon, he's going to change it. And that's totally fine. So that was just from a creator perspective, that was odd. But it was also very interesting then to see his take on stuff, how he approached everything differently. And that again, to go back to the original question, the most recent one here is like, hey, if you played it and then you want to run it, I see playing it is not like that's the script you have to follow. But like, hey, that I like this piece. That fight was fun. That search for X was really cool. I'm so glad we found this. Take the real high points and say, that was awesome. Do what you can to try to keep that awesome going for your next for the players when you're running it. And those pieces, are like, God, that was boring. I didn't like the way that fight ran. I would have done this differently. Now's your chance, right? Now's your chance to do that. It doesn't have to be a complete repeat. I've had people tell me, oh, I played this game or this adventure, and the adventure was terrible. And, well, who ran it for you? Well, blah, blah, blah. And this is one of the reasons, I think I've said this many times over the years here. One of the reasons I started Game Mastering because I couldn't, when Game Masters I was running (laughs) with weren't doing it the way I wanted it done, I'm like, fuck this, I'm going to do it myself. (laughs) (laughs) This guy sucks. (laughs) This is terrible. (laughs) Get out of my way. Hit him with his own G- GM screen. Oh, Cram the D20. Get, this, in his,
0: get, out get out of the
1: way. Fucking dude. <laughs> What's wrong with you? Hit him with his own DMG. All right. You're standing outside the door. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what happened to the last guy? Fuck him. Whatever. We're moving on. So I think from Tom's perspective, I think it's good to kind of wrap, put a, put a bow on this if we can. The expectations you have when you're rerunning a campaign, you have to make sure you kind of check some of those at the door and do your best to remember it's a new group. There will be new bits of fun. If you have, don't assume it's a railroad. Don't just hand out the tickets and say you're gonna do everything the last group did because you've already told that story before. There's no point to do that. It can be fun sometimes after a session or after the campaign to come back and the players will say, "Hey." Sean, when you ran this last time, how the other how how did Jeff and the guys do when they got to that part? You know, Oh, let me tell you what Jeff did, <laughs> and everyone at the table will have a hoot because guess what? Suddenly that personal gamer story you had of running that game, I now have an exact not exact, but I have a connection to that other group.
0: Oh, when they came I would, to checkerboard floor, I would much rather floor, them. I would much rather them run into each other at like a con and say, "Hey, i have that know, talk. and then uh, let, I, and just walk away like. Yeah, here I, you guys, I, How'd yeah. you get
1: past the checkerboard? <laughs> oh, the fucking checkerboard! Goddamn, Sean! What do you do to you? Yeah, he didn't fucking tell us that. Yeah, if he'd have told me that, if he'd have fucking told me that, I'd fucking smack Sean Bolus, goddamn dice bag. You yeah. know? Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. that's yeah. what you run into. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think reusing a campaign can be really cool. You just have to. It's a mindset thing, and uh, yeah. So there we go. If you've yeah. run a, if you've run a, a campaign multiple times, if you've played, you've experienced the campaign multiple times. And it's been good. What pieces did you like? What pieces did do you, do you not like? Would like to avoid? Let us know. I'd love to share that stuff as always. So, we good, Sean?
0: We're good, man. Let's get into Die
1: Roll. Let's move it on. Let me
0: do die Roll, cool. two to four miscellaneous points a game and a geeker you want to share with you. First one on the docket. Who's Carl? Points to an article that points out large dragon outline on the planet Mars. Again? did We didn't feature this before, did we? No, I'm just saying
1: it's oh. the... Oh, yeah. look at that. It does look like a large dragon. It's crazy stuff going out there in space. Oh, it's the Sun. The UK news, uh, news company. I'll see how that could be bad. Yeah. The Sun's noted for its crack uh, news yeah. quality. I don't yeah. know. I don't know shit. Don't know. <laughs> what else Brett's we got? We got a subscription.
0: Uh, Vetch Young is involved with launching Skies of Glass by guys over at Fear the Boot. Sounds like the Alpha is going out to their patrons. So if you're like if you like Fear of the Boot or you want to check out Skies of Glass, um, which I know the Fear of the Boot guys have been having that a lot around for a long time. Uh it sounds like they're finally gonna put it out to the public, maybe. Sounds yeah. good. Uh, third one, some free RPG Day goodness from Palgrain Press asking for you to donate to Doctors Without Borders. So all the stuff that they've put out for free RPG Day. Uh, you can get for free. They're just asking if you do download it that you consider giving to Doctors Without Borders. So it's got a couple 13th age um, so got adventures. Black Asians, yep.
1: Dossier stuff, Solo. Time Watch, Fall Delta Green. Yeah, I got that one. Oh, nice. Yeah.
0: Good shit. Yeah, check that out. The number four, UK Games Expo, canceled. <laughs> oh. Planned for May, postponed until August. Pulled the plug for twenty twenty.
1: Is this what gets you thinking Game might be canceled? Yeah. All right. Well, I don't think it's just
0: this. I think it's just saying it's one more I th- tick on the chart. I don't like to run this crap. All right, we'll talk about it. I don't it later. want to talk about this crap. Yeah, we'll talk I just about think it. it I just think talk it's talk about this. fun
1: stuff. What else we got?
0: Last one. Brett is gonna be
1: on Big Twenty with VC. Yeah, we're supposed to do that on the third is when we're recording. I did a quick check in with the guys, make sure that we're still on and so forth. Now I want to do I want to do a little shout out to VC Young. So he's like the quiet little game developer pushy guru guy in the background. Here's what I'm talking about. He helped do a board game that's been published. He's now working with the Fear the Boot guys in Skies of Glass. He's been working with me on Maps for my Streets of Avalon game. And He's got me pulling over to Big Twenty, so I don't know what kind of magical voodoo mystery crap Mr. V.C. Young's got going, but that dude, he's behind the scenes like just pulling some weird strings with gamers, man. I, yeah, he's, I'm, I'm just I'm just, I'm gonna say that I'm glad I'm glad he's on our side. Hmm. At least I think mm-hmm. he's on our side. Indeed. Well, I hope he is. Yeah, we can only we can only <laughs> we hope, can only I hope. <laughs>
0: Otherwise, that is it for this episode of Gaming and BIS.
1: What in the hell are we talking about next week, Brett? Low Fantasy. We talked about that last time a little bit. I started reading it, didn't have a chance to get through the whole thing because of work and other crap over the weekend. But uh, we're going to see if we can get uh, somebody who knows Low Fantasy better than me because I will have only read it. Sean's only played it. So we'll see if we can get somebody on. Get a little guest of the show, I think. Probably uh, uh, Mr. Hobbs. See if we can get him on. He seems to know that. He seems seems to know that shit. Yeah.
0: He said, Oh, finally the show's gonna get bumped up in quality or something. I said, Don't don't make us rethink this. Don't <laughs> don't 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 pull that crap on me, Hobbs. Pull the plug faster than shit, Hobbs.
1: <laughs> anyway, we'll be talking low fantasy. I think it'll be interesting to go through that system a little bit, kind of tear it apart what you know, Sean's played it, what do you like about it? And uh Jason, I know a couple of the guys that are like, Oh, this is really cool. I'm really enjoying it. I want to hear kind of like we did with Tim DeShane, let's talk about it. And see what we think so there we go that'll be next
0: on our forums uh, forums forums dot we I posted that episode and in that post I did I think put a link to the folks that publish uh, low fantasy gaming oh nice so you could actually go and download it for free and there's a link on their website that goes to drive through but you can get it for for free not there, yeah, the deluxe version want. yep yeah the, the free version um, and then the deluxe version, I think, is the more updated one. But yeah, there's and tons of stuff free off the website and on drive through Like, they just want people to play, literally. That's why they're giving some of the stuff away
1: for nothing. That's cool, man.
0: Yeah, man. All right. Well, hey, this has been another episode of Gaming BS. Thanks for everybody joining us live on Twitch and Discord. We appreciate it. Otherwise, you can find us on GamingBS.com. Uh, each week, we'll be recording here Mondays at 8 p.m. Central Time. Otherwise, I am Sean.
1: I'm Brett. Good night, good game, and all. This episode of the Gaming in BS
0: brought to you with the help from the following BSers Graham Miner, Corey Wynn, Larry Hout, Mark DeSaca, Pure Mongo, Chris Dio, Ray Otis. Ron Bishop, Thomas Hook, Wayne Humphrey, Craig, Brandon Barnes, Laramie Wall, Dan LaValle, Jason Hobbs, Sky, Old School DM, Perry Besore, Jim Fitzpatrick, John Kayward, Corey Gonzalez, Eileen Barnes, Robert Nemeth, Niall Diamond, Howard Bishop, Eric Salzweedle, The Closet Gamer, Jeff Goad, and Appendix End Podcast, Aaron Coleman, C.W. Mellencamp, Craig Huber, Old Scouser Role Playing, Jared Rasher, Andy Hall, David F. Baylog, Harrigan, Militia Boshinsky, Brian Rumble, Henry Newcomb, Eric Talvola, Roger Brasslett, Mark Sohm, Andy Olson, Eric Avia, Ron Blessing, Jeff Seifert, Mike Hess, Angus, Tony Sugarloaf-Baker, Rory Weston, Curtis Hinson, Jim Ingram, Daniel Garrett, Eric Frankhouse Presents, Who's Carl, Chad Gleeman, finolf Josh Wallace, Marco Froelich, Aaron Relia, Curtis Takahashi, Michael Dinos, Rich Wishon, and Joe Swick. Hey, if you're a fan of the show... Do us a favor and let somebody know in your gaming group about us. Have them give us a listen. Maybe even subscribe. Head over to gamingbs.com forward slash subscribe. Thanks, BSers! This has been a Litterbox Studio production.